dream is just to have happy children, really, isn't it? Like, you know, children who are ready to, to be creative, to be children. Dear friend, welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington and I am your host. Today we are talking about social emotional learning in the classroom. And even if you are a parent, there's a lot to learn from this. Uh, it was an amazing conversation with Carl and I'm excited to share this with you. First, I'd like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron Podcast. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. And for those of you that are new here, welcome to Curious Neuron. I am the founder of Curious Neuron. I am a mom of three, I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience, and I am the co-founder of the WonderGrade app. Um, WonderGrade as a whole is a company that builds emotional regulation tools and, and products for families, so both for children and for their parents. We want to help you, the parent, um, support your child when it comes to their emotional well-being and their emotional health. So you can visit wondergrade.com if you'd like more information or click the link in the show notes if you want to try the app for for free. If you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate this podcast and leave a review. You can do this, I believe, on Spotify. You can rate it and you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot to me when you do this because it allows me to see that it's making a difference for you if it is or if you're not liking it and, and why you're not liking it. You can also send me an email at info at curiousneuron.com if you have some feedback that you'd like to give me to improve this podcast. And if you do leave a review, let me know by email and I will send you a free PDF called Emotion Mountain, um, which is a PDF available on my website at curiousneuron.com. You can click on Academy at the top um, of the website and it'll bring you to different PDFs that we have and different workshops that we have online. There is Better Me, Better Parent, which is this 144 page page workbook um, that walks you through building and rebuilding a connection with yourself and building a connection with your child by understanding your parenting style, understanding your values and what matters to you, um, how to regulate your emotions as well. And there are two workshops, one that helps you understand how your childhood impacts your parenting and the other webinar helps you understand how your child's behavior is linked to their emotions. So lots of ways that you can continue learning from Curious Neuron, or you could just listen to the podcast, or you could subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, the Curious Neuron YouTube channel, or come visit us on Instagram at Curious underscore Neuron. So lots of ways to learn with us and to keep learning about the science around emotional health for your child. All right, let's not wait any longer. I hope you enjoy my interview with Carl Mercury. Today, I want to talk about social emotional learning in the classroom. And, and we've spoken about this in the home. We've spoken about this as parents and as kids individually. But I've been getting some questions regarding what um, a teacher should be including in her classroom, what parents should expect from their schools. There is a blog post on the website, curiousneuron.com, if you'd like to read some tips in terms of what a parent should be looking for within the school, what questions you should be asking a school when it comes to their sort of SEL uh, curriculum. I also have a short YouTube video with Carl, my guest today, and I wanted to extend that conversation. So welcome back to Kirsten Neuron for the first time on the podcast. Welcome, Carl. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks for having me. I uh, really, I knew we had to continue. We've had a few of these conversations now, but 
you know, with the uh, mental health sort of um, crisis that a lot of people are talking about, a lot of changes in social uh, emotional learning in kids and their skills, lots of aggression within schools that I'm hearing across the board, whether it's Canada or the States. I think we need to have this conversation in terms of like what SEL looks like within the school. And for those of you listening, when I say SEL or Carl will say it, we're talking about social emotional learning. Um, before we dig into this conversation, can you give me a little bit more, uh, give me a little bit about your background? I know but I'd love the listeners to know who they're listening to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, okay. So uh, an educator, uh, been in the game for, for uh, over two decades now, but, but really uh, I started my um, SEL journey about 12 years ago. Um, I was really lucky to be involved in a mental health and well-being framework that went across right across Australia, and 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 was lucky to be one of those people who become a facilitator of the framework at the school I was working at back in Melbourne, Australia, and then from there, um, really the penny dropped, didn't it? You know, it was something that really it really uh, struck me, and I always wanted to know a little bit about not a little bit. I always wanted to know why children behave and and why they make certain types of decisions and and how do I impact a child holistically uh, within the classroom and across the education sector. So I've been doing this for a while now. And uh, and so day to day, you'll find me at a beautiful elementary school called the Priory as the SEL coordinator. I'm also teaching grade five this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing both. Um, and, and then week to week and month to month, I'm across Montreal and greater Montreal, helping out schools, um, with their SEL implementation. That's a lot on your plate. I didn't yeah. have the grade five class too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it definitely keeps my finger on the pulse as I say, because no I kidding. really, I really do know what's going on. Don't I? Yes. Well, that's good because, you know, you're, that means you're working on this SEL, you know, system and, and these, the curriculum, but you're also in the classroom. So you're seeing what makes sense in terms of having to teach kids or the problems that you need to help them with. That's right. Have you seen any changes um, after the pandemic? I know people are going to ask me about this. I need to ask you, but yeah. Um, because I know from a mental health standpoint, we were already seeing the increases before the pandemic. Um, but I've never heard so many people reach out, like in terms of schools and parents saying there's been a change in my child. Have you been seeing the same thing in the schools? Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it amazed me when we returned back the, from the pandemic. We, there was this big thing about learning loss. Uh, you know, we have to catch the children up um, in regards to academics. But there was a really big de developmental and social and emotional loss also, wasn't there? And, and so, you know, if, if we're going to do this right, we need to, we need to reimagine education as a whole and, and, and try and fix everything that, uh, that I guess the, uh, the pandemic, um, impacted. But in saying that, you know, for me, it was, I'm just going to jump onto what you said before, but you, our K's to grade twos were heavily impacted. Um, because of the fact that, uh, uh, that we're talking about five to seven-year-olds who were at, at home the majority of the time. It's they started their schooling journey and they're spending it at home in isolation with an adult who's, who's basically, um, uh, you know, problem-solving and, and doing all the responsible decision-making for them, and, and rightly so because we're at home and it's a tough time. But you know these 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 children need to be with other children uh, to to make those 
you know, mistakes and then learn from them. So, and, and we also found that that demographic also was, they had behavior problems and, and was interpreted as behavior problems, but it wasn't. It was actually mm. social problems, not being able to, to really read what was happening within the class or outside in the schoolyard. So that was one demographic. The other one is our teens. The teens really found it difficult. They were isolated. We're talking about a group of students who, you know, their brain is they're hovering away from that the catchment of mum and dad and, and it's all about your friends then, you know, it's all about that reward period, the brain shifting. So to put our teens into a, a an isolated space was really hard on them in terms of their, their mental health for sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, I've been seeing the same changes too, like within the parents I've spoken with. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, one thing that I tell parents is not to be too worried because it's a skill. We can start working on it and working on it more. What do you think, given the work that you've been doing and, and where we're sort of moving forward with this, what's, is there anything missing or we just need to, you know, double down on this SEL and, and say this needs to be across the board in all schools because I don't think it is in all schools yet, right? No, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think that schools just need to to develop an awareness, a proper awareness of what it's all about. I think that schools, uh, um, you know, go down a programs-based approach really mm-hmm. straight away thinking that if I if I pay for a program and then I've got this lesson and, and my teachers do it every week, that that covers SEL. But but it, it, that's kind of surface level SEL to me. You know that that that's kind that's yes, it's easier for for the teachers. And to be honest, you know the teacher workload is is quite high. But but to be able to train the teachers correctly, get the right facilitators in there, make sure that the teachers really understand what SEL is all about, what SEL implementation looks like, what it looks mm-hmm. like across the school compared to what it looks like in your classroom, because that's that's different, you know, and, and being able to differentiate from that's really important. I love that your school has you in in the school (laughs) because I know that not all schools are able to have that. And I was speaking to an SEL consultant in the States and she um, was responsible for a district, which is I don't know how many schools, but many schools. Um, And her job um, opened up during the pandemic. And now this two year contract is over. And in my opinion, it's when they need it the most. Yeah, that's Um, right. So, you know, I hope that these schools can continue implementing the programs she started. Sure. Um, And I'm sure this is across the board, you know, in in, in different states or different places in Canada. How about if somebody's listening right now, maybe SCL is something new to them. How about we kind of make sure we're all at the same level what are yeah, we talking yeah. about when we talk about social emotional learning yeah so so sel is all about if, if you were to look at the definition castle i guess firstly castle is an organization that's been around for over 25 years and they're at the forefront of sel research um how to implement sel and basically their definition uh if i simplify the definition of sel it is establishing essential life skills and be, being able to to knowledge build and skill develop and attitude shift towards what we call their five competencies, and ba- basically it's it's creating a partnership also between schools, families, and communities, and transferring that information and and the practices from schools across to the home and getting the community involved. 
It's about really empowering the kids to really create, I guess, eventually a community or a society that's that's just safe and healthy, really. Mm. And I would just say lastly that true SEL promotes, you know, diversity, inclusion. But the last thing that's really important, it makes schools culturally responsive because when we're when we're talking about emotions and feelings, you know, what an emotion looks like here in North America and the way that we respond to one looks completely different in Japan, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and so mm. for our for schools to be culturally responsive, that's really important. I love that you brought that up. That is such an important part. And that we we need to be aware of that too. Yeah. The, the totally. Differences. Yeah. Um, okay. So now that somebody knows about this and understands what it is, what does it look like? Maybe we should just go over the five competencies. So we, we broadly, I guess, summarized SEL being these life skills, but what are the actual competencies themselves? So we have self-awareness. So it's developing a sense of oneself, you know, really understanding your thoughts and feelings and emotions and being able to build that. And to make this really clear, SEL is not just for the kids. It's for mm. anyone inside the school, whether it's a teacher, a janitor, Or a, or a student, SEL is for all of us, right? So self-awareness, um, building those thoughts and feelings and becoming aware of your own identity, that's the first competency. We have self-management, which is how do I manage those thoughts and feelings and to achieve my goals. We have uh, social awareness, so understanding the views and perspective of others, I guess, through the kind of like an empathy lens. And you've got relationship skills, which is learning to communicate and connect and problem solve and be able to stand up for others. And then the last one is responsible decision making. So it's all about making constructive choices, reflecting on those choices to be able to find solutions. And so SEL is all about developing those five competencies. Um, I always say, you know, self-awareness is so important because it's the foundation You can't make a responsible decision without being self-aware, you know, and you can't you can't uh, be socially aware of others if you're not self-aware. So, so it's just it's just really important to be able to navigate those competencies. And it, and you know what school's doing really well because you can see all the five competencies in in certain elements of teaching, you know. So that's that's really important. I love that you just brought that up because I think a parent who's listening or even an educator, perhaps they are wondering, should my grade two students, you know, make responsible decisions? And they're not the way when you are, you know, outlining these different um, levels. Well, I see them as levels. I, I see them, like you said, like the foundation truly is self-awareness. Sure. And and then so are we building up on this or are we taking these five competencies and teaching them in grade one? Like how, how is it divided? Yeah, you, you do. You do. You do teach all five, um, but but they look different, don't they? Like mm -hmm. they, they look completely different. Um, you know, a responsible decision for a, for a for a kindergarten student is just being able to stop when 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 you're asked to you know or, or just quickly stop before I go off and 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 throw that shovel or, or that snowball or something <laughs> like that you know that's what that's that responsible decision whereas a grade six it's more about being aware of you know you're around a group of people that they might be speaking about someone indirectly and you're not really cool with what they're saying and 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 then 
you know, being an upstander instead of a bystander, like, hey, guys, I don't think this is cool right now. Um, maybe, maybe we could, we could, you know, change this, the, the topic or, or if, we get, if we've got a problem with someone, let's go and speak to them face-to-face or something like mm-hmm. that. So, And I can understand how some of these impact behavior as well, right? If you're not yeah, able sure. to stop yourself, and this comes back to what you said at the beginning, if you're not able to stop yourself or think about what should be right or wrong, then you're going to act on that. And, and then it's disciplined rather than, well, it should be, you know, the, the discipline part is okay, but there has to be some sort of educational component as well in terms of how to teach the child these skills. That's right. And, and, yeah. and when it comes to that, I guess uh, the the discipline end, I I will probably talk about it later, but I guess I could talk about it now. The discipline end is is really important that it's a restorative type discipline end. Mm -hmm. So so when when we talk about that, and and I guess I'm I'm already segueing into into, um, what, what, you know, practices we should see across schools when it comes to SEL, but mm-hmm. you know these signature practices are ones that we could see from kindergarten all the way to year twelve, basically, right? And and one of them, and we'll go back to discipline, would be kind of like not kind of, but supportive discipline practices. So it comes from a restorative end. It's it's uh, heavily influenced by what we call restorative justice, and and restorative justice is is really an approach to to provide an opportunity to repair harm so what we do is we create a safe space um we have open communication uh we 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 come up with uh, you know what do we feel is the right response and and the victim and 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 the perpetrator i guess Mm -hmm. the other word could be um is responsible in coming up with how to repair the harm you know there's a healing process so that everyone understands and the reason why this is so powerful because at the end of the process empathy is being built so i know how i've impacted you you know how you've got an opportunity to explain to me how it's impacted and then we can leave with an opportunity to repair that harm so that's really important i am sure there are parents that just heard this and said had this sort of aha moment of like wow this (laughs) this can make a big difference if we have this approach not just in schools but in homes too um you know i've often spoken to parents who have children between the ages of six and nine and there's a lot of content out there including myself with curious neuron where we cover zero to five zero to six and then there's the content on teenagers but the kids in between that what's what does discipline look like we know discipline is education in young kids but having the sort of framework that you just painted i think allows parents to see how there still is an education component. It's not just about go in your room, no more iPad, no TV, no whatever it is for a week. But yeah. what is the conversation happening there? And how are you building the SEL skills through the conversation you're having? Like you said, the empathy sure. that comes in there. I love that. Sure. Yeah. And it, and it's great. It's great because for, for restorative practice to happen, another signature practice is what we call community circles. So a community circle... Um, is is basically the schools so i'll give you an example on a monday when my class comes in we always come in and we stand in a circle so by standing in a circle i'll have some form of prompt like 
tell me the best thing that you ate on the weekend. And and by having a circle, the reason why we have this circle is because one, it provides an opportunity to build community within your classroom. Two, mm. two it gives everyone a, an opportunity to speak. So when you have a community circle, we have something called a talking piece and we and we have circle expectations are like like active listening um something like uh, uh say just enough confidentiality is really important so we teach about confidentiality right and so the, all the kids will answer the question and if you do this on a regular basis you've got this this introvert student who doesn't really get an opportunity to say something, but when it's community circle time, they always get their opportunity to say something. And you've got this extrovert student who's always saying something, but has to learn to actually be patient because they don't they don't have the talking piece right now. Does it, mm. do, you, do you get what I'm trying to say? So mm-hmm. it's creating this sense of community. And the reason why we have this community circle is because then when things go wrong, and we have to go into a restorative justice or restorative circle. We call it a restorative mediation. We do that mediation in a circle. Mm-hmm. And so we use the same talking piece. And by doing that, it actually creates an environment where you imagine when you're in trouble and you're super heightened. But because, you know, it's a circle, oh, I know what the circle is all about. It brings that level of energy down. It brings the kids back into the you know, the thinking part of the brain, the, mm-hmm. the prefrontal, and then we can go through that mediation. So it's sort of with community circles and restorative practice, they sort of intertwine. Yeah. Um, so they're two really important practices. That is amazing. And I love what you just said about the frontal lobe and the thinking part, because that's exactly what I was picturing. You've created a safe space for that student. And knowing that circle equals both a safe space for me physically, but also emotionally, right? And and now the child is more likely to kind of open up in that situation and think better because when we don't feel safe, then we're blocking all of that communication to our frontal lobe. We're, bro- we're blocking that thinking. Um, I absolutely love that. You, you've been mentioning sig- signature practices yeah. um, a few times. What do you mean when you say that? And, and um, how does a school or a parent now that's listening, how do they know if, if their school is implementing that? Sure. So I guess two of them were the community circles and, and the, um, the uh, restorative um, practice. Look, these are very common SEL practices. These are these are ones that if if a school was to to um, contact a, a consultant or a, or a, someone who is well versed in SEL, or you look at Castle, these these are these are practices that are highly recommended. They're evidence based. Um, you know. If I was a parent and, and I was asking about SEL, I would just say, you know, what are your signature practices? What do you do across the school uh, to make sure that you can maintain this kind of safe space, this environment that pr- promotes community, that builds self-awareness, that's going to build my child's empathy and just see what the school comes up, comes up with, basically. And what if they don't mention anything <laughs> that you just said right now? Yeah, well, is, is, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I would then be asking the school, you know, what are their what are their goals towards social emotional learning? What what where are you? You know, every school has some form of planning in place, 
um, forward planning or strategic planning for, you know, for, for years to come and so on? Is there any form of um, implementation that we're explicit implementation is as part of that planning so that you're going to get a view as to um, if it's in place or if not? Um, you know, parents also have, you have an opportunity and, and a voice in terms of most most schools will have a parent board of some sort. So you might want to go down that that path or that realm as to, hey, how can we help our school? What can we bring in? How can we help the teachers themselves? Because it might be a financial difficulty. It might be, we're not really sure, you know, it might be a time difficulty or something like that. Let's say it is a bit of those of both, right? So let's say a parent says, "I want to move forward and help my school do this," or a or, or there's a teacher listening and they say, "I want to make sure I'm including what Carl just said in my classroom." So yes, there's perhaps a money factor and a time factor, and and this is something I wanted to touch on with you. What is out there for as a resource now? Sure. Uh, you know, somebody could Google Castle, which is C A S E L. Once they do that, they'll have access to some content. I know we mentioned the zones of regulation because it seems to be very common. Yeah. Is there anything else? We've spoken together about um, Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett, Dr. Mark yeah. Brackett. Um, and I think you can find Ruler online and, and some content there. A little bit of it, yeah. Is that a good start for them? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're looking for something simple, right, to understand and to implement. That's right. I would always start with Castle, and I would sure. I would um, check uh, just just to get a really clear idea of what social-emotional learning is all about, um, some of the signature practices that they recommend also, so they, they have um, some signature practices that can be easily implemented implemented sorry um into the classroom anyone can access that and that's and it's free basically um the other the other uh component the castle has is they have a program guide so when when a school's looking for a program they've already rated certain programs and depending on the needs assessment of a school because it's very important for a school to do what we call a needs assessment first. So when we're doing this needs assessment, we're figuring out, you know, what are we doing really well and what are we not doing really well? And then we focus on the part that we need to improve. Now, at the end of the day also, and I really want to bring this up, lots of schools are indirectly teaching SEL anyway. They just don't know it. So when you do this needs assessment, and you go down the path and you pull out the competencies and you start kind of brainstorming. So for self-awareness, this is what it is. What do we do? A lot of schools will be like, oh, we already do this. We already have a lot of this. We just didn't know it was SEL. So just doing some form of assessment is really important too. That's a thank you for that. I think that really helps, you know, align what somebody can do to get that into their school and, and where they can start with yeah. resources. Um Sure. You know, just to touch on, uh, there was a, a teacher that asked, you know, how they can start with certain activities that are very easy within the classroom, especially with younger kids, pre-K, yeah. kindergarten, grade one. You, We started talking about like these competencies and like what self-awareness would look like. Do you have any advice for a teacher who here, I'm assuming, doesn't have some sort of framework that she can do and, and maybe just wants like the baby steps? Like how do we start implementing within a classroom for a very young child? Yeah, I would always start with, um, so so we covered some circle work. You can easily do the community circles with the little ones. And, and it's very conducive to a, like a kindergarten class because 
we already sit in circles in kindergarten. So just adding that component of a community circle to your, your teaching is very easy. Um, um, I would go down the emotional emotional literacy pass, uh, path, sorry. Mm-hmm. So um, implementing some form of emotional literacy tool. So we've already touched on it, but the mood meter that that's from ruler or the zones of regulation is actually has uh, their own kind of emotional literacy. Uh, we we really do need this because we want to emotional literacies is not just expanding our kids' emotional vocabulary. Is it? It's it's more them recognizing, them understanding, mm-hmm. and then them labeling. It's not just about labeling. Um, and and regardless of if it's a mood meter or or the zones of regulation or a feelings wheel that you see around, regardless of any of them, they're still great tools to have in the classroom. Now, how we use them, we would use them as check-ins. So um, getting the kids that when they arrive in the morning, you check in. So the little kindergarten ones at, at our school, they go up to the mood meter, they move their name to the colour and they do their own little check-in. And it's really cool because for kindergarten kids to be able to walk in and then move their name onto a yellow or a red, uh, it, what they're doing is they're reflecting, aren't they? Oh, the, well, this is how I'm feeling uh, and, and I'm showing it. And it's also providing everyone in the classroom with an understanding, oh, Jack's in the red right now. He might be a little angry. I might need to give him a little bit of space mm. or or um little olivia is in in blue right now and blue's you know low energy and unpleasant so we 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 will you know we would associate maybe a little sadness with that so olivia's sad maybe i should go up to her and give her a little cuddle or we'll see how she's mm-hmm. going so so a little check-in is super cool but a check-in looks different for the older ones so we at, from grade three all the way up to to high school check-ins are private so we want we want people to be able to check in and reflect or journal on on the, by themselves, um, and it looks different, but still a check in provides you with that same you know service of of being able to recognize, understand, label, and then get to a point where I need to regulate too. Because right now I've checked in, I, I'm red, um, I'm in grade six, I'm I'm in the red, I'm angry, something's happened at home. I know that before I get started for, for class, I'm, I, I got to pull out one of my regulatory tools. So simple check-ins is something that everyone could easily implement at school, um, which is a really cool one. And what a powerful tool to start the day with, because, you know, I had this conversation with Dr. Bruce Perry, where he spoke about the dysregulated classroom and we're teaching a bunch of students sometimes who are not regulated and going back to what we said before if you're dysregulated your brain isn't functioning the same way you're not thinking the same way you're not rational you're not remembering or problem solving the same way since that connection to the frontal lobe isn't the same so if we can do just that i think it's a really good start and um thank you for bringing up that naming emotions is not just the only thing because i think sometimes um, we think that that's like a really big goal. Like, sure, my child knows when they're mad, you know, and I often deal with, uh, speak with parents that have younger kids, um, but my child will say, I'm mad. So why aren't they regulated? Like, why can't they calm down after that? But there are, there's a lot that goes on 
before that? Like, what does your body feel like when it's mad? Is a child able to say that? Are you able to recognize, I use a mountain for younger kids, but as your emotions are getting stronger, you're sort of climbing up this like emotions mountain. And before you get to the peak where you're completely dysregulated, were you able to actually recognize? And I think even as adults, we struggle with that because that's why as adults, we snap, we use that term snapped. Um, and, and I picture that as like the same thing as a tantrum <laughs> yeah. like with young kids. We, we say they're having a tantrum and I'm trying to move parents away from that term because it's just them having lost control. They're at the top of that emotion mount- mountain. They're completely dysregulated the same way that we are completely dysregulated. Sometimes we say things we regret. We do things we regret. And we're like, oh, why did I, why did I yell at my kid? Like they didn't do anything wrong, but I wasn't even aware that I was dysregulated and I was in the red zone um, and that's why I snapped at them, right? So yeah. such a good practice to to have. I would I would say both at school and at home. Why not yeah. check in once in a while? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I, and just to back onto what you said, you know, so we've mentioned uh, emotional literacy tools, we've mentioned mm-hmm. community circles, we've mentioned restorative practices, signature, but also if we want to to add another signature and simple one, just having uh, regulatory tools in the classroom. Like it's not difficult to have some Play-Doh. It's not difficult to have, you know, uh, a little stress ball. It's not difficult to have a little um, uh, space in the classroom where we can separate ourselves, where it might be a, a, a soft chair, it might be a couch of some sort. My classroom has a couch. We have an ongoing um, jigsaw puzzle that when the kids just need some space, they can go over and do the jigsaw puzzle. And then when they're ready, they just return back to back to working. So just having the opportunity for, uh, you know, in the ideal world, I say this all the time, and, and this is heavily influenced by a uh, um, Dr. Stuart Shanker's work at the Merit Center, but that was saying that in the ideal world, a classroom would have an upregulated spot and a downregulated spot because if children know what they need, you know, if they've got too much energy, they need to burn it somewhere. And if they don't have enough energy, they need to restore. So can you imagine having like two micro environments in every classroom that the kids know that I can go to this one for lots of energy or I need to energy and I can go to this one to restore my energy. That would be super cool wow. in the ideal world. That would be. <laughs> that, And I think often when we have very young kids, we look at that energy as a negative thing because it's hard for us to deal with it, especially if we, yeah. we can't meet them at that level, which we often can't. <laughs> um, but having uh, that conversation with their child of sometimes we do have a lot of energy and, and, you know, I, I think of myself too, like if I work at nighttime and I've been building on ideas and I go to bed, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> not it's a just chance. not going to happen, right? Like no. I'm dysregulated in a good way. I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm, I'm pumped about some sort of idea that I have, but I'm completely dysregulated and that equals a night awake, you know, and, and we yeah. have to kind of give our kids those skills to, to recognize those moments and I, I agree with you. If that could be part of every classroom, whoever's listening to this, <laughs> yeah, it would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that that it doesn't have to be expensive either. You know, it could be just just some elastics in a in a in a spot where children can move their legs or something. Um, a bit of 
yeah it, it yeah it, it doesn't have to be these you know some schools have um bicycles we, where the kids can ride while they're while they're working and so on but we can't all afford that kind of equipment you know so we don't we can be creative we can we can yeah. still create those environments just be creative you said something that reminded me of a question that I received on Instagram. Uh, people were anticipating this conversation, but they asked, you know, what do you consider the most important skill to form healthy relationships from an SEL approach? You yeah. said something right now that that's why I want to bring it up. But you mentioned um, stepping away. Like if, if little, you know, Bobby comes into the classroom and is in the red zone, then the students could at least say like that child, that person needs space. Or when you're older, recognizing that you need some space. I think about relationships now and, and what a powerful tool to have. If you know you're dysregulated, not to go into an argument with a partner <laughs> and to yeah. say like, I need to take space, right? To have those communication skills when it comes to emotions. I'm wondering how you would approach this question given your own, your background. Yeah, look, relationships is such a complex, you know, uh, I, I guess, discussion, isn't it? But, but I, I, I always, I have like a formula that I, that I always, when I go and consult, I say to teachers that in the ideal world, we need to build trust. So how do we build trust? And I say to teachers, well, there's a, for, my formula for trust is the following. It is, Authentic relationships plus safety equals trust. If I can have an authentic relationship where, where you know, the students come in in the morning, I greet them, but I'm not greeting them like standing at the front. I'm, I'm personally going up to them and greeting them and, it's, and, and they feel welcomed and they feel safe. And then I hear them when they have their problem. I make time to hear them. I sit with them. I make sure that they feel like they're, 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 they're being heard, they're being seen, they're being valued. Then I'm forever going to have their trust. And that's what a, an authentic relationship really is, isn't it? So if you can create that authenticity between yourself and, and the child plus make sure that they feel completely safe, then you're going to get that trust all the time. Yeah. What an amazing formula, I think, to, to follow and simple enough for us to keep at the yeah, top of our minds. For sure. Um, I unfortunately have to sort of, you know, end this conversation. Yeah. I, I, I had so many other questions. And for those of you that are listening, you know my email, info.curesnorn.com. Just send me an email and say, bring Carl back and I'll bring Carl back. Because <laughs> I know I'm going to get those. I'm, um, I'm happy to come back. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I love that you're close too. We need to meet up for coffee, uh, you know, once in a while. To. Because there's just so much to talk about around this. Um, I'm, I, I want to go back to some of the questions and, and if there's something we missed, please let's, let's bring it up before we finish this. But one person asked about the language, language to model to our students as a school example, colored zones of regulation. I'm in red. I can try breathing. Did you, were, are you able to sort of address that? Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what the question is with that. Sure. Maybe. I, I think also, look, I, we really need to change the narrative of these colors and and uh, I think we can get really confused, right? Um, when we label, or especially when we use emotional literacy tools, the the some people's understanding is that 
you have to always be in the green. So the green zone, mm. we would say is a calm zone. You have to be in the green to learn. And I would say incorrect, mm. right? Because, and, and, and Yale University does a really good job of this. If I need to be creative, I can't be calm. If I need to be creative, I need to have a high amount of energy I need to be uh, quite motivated to do something. So that would put me in the yellow zone. So any form of creativity would be in the yellow. Now, if I'm doing a debate and I need to really get my point across, then I need some form of worry, but I need some form of assertiveness, you know, like kind of anger. So that would mean that I would be in the red so a lot of people think like the red zone is angry, is worried, is anxious and so on, and you can't be there to learn. Well, that's not correct because we need to be, we need to have certain feelings to drive certain types of learning. And so um, it's really important that we all understand that, you know, emotions have this functional capacity, you know, it's to approach or to avoid. But from a learning perspective, if you don't, if you're not, uh if you're not emotionally connected to to your work, then you're not going to learn anyway. So, so that's that's really important when it comes to that. Such an important point. Thank goodness you said all this <laughs> because yeah. now I'm thinking of a teacher who, let's say, this teacher in particular starts to implement what we said and has the morning check-ins with her with with her or his students or their students. Now. I'm looking at the wall and I see that I have some kids in the red zone, some in the yellow, some in the green. Uh, the other one is blue, I believe, right? So yeah. a little bit of a mix of everything. And now I need to teach math <laughs> or I need to, or we're, we're doing, we're creating a story this morning, whatever it is. Am I going to manage my classroom a little differently given that I see, you know, three students in the red zone, am I going to give them space and not ask them to answer something today? Yeah. Or maybe they're in the red zone because they're fired up and, and they have a test that day and they're thinking about it. I don't know. Like, how would I manage my classroom given these different levels of emotional states? Yeah, I, I, I think you, you, you've clearly made the connection. So when, when you're doing your checking, it's providing feedback for the teacher, isn't it? So basically, you're doing the check-in. If it was the older kids, you would ask, do you mind if I ch have a look at what you've got on your check-in? Like, I don't want to know the answers. I just want to know what color, right? Mm -hmm. So you're getting a clear indication. Oh, I've got 60% of my children right now in the red or in the blue. Now, starting the day like that, I might need to I might need to shift what I'm teaching mm. to help them bring them back to a point where then they can go on with some something more complex. Because if I've got you in a heightened state and then I'm bringing in long division, you, you're not going to be able to follow the steps. That's the reality. But if I've got everyone in a heightened state and we're going to do a reading strategy instead, we're going to read Let's just read our, 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 our class novel of some sort. That'll bring everyone back down and then we can do the long division later on. So, so yes, does it provide feedback? Yes. Um, but if it's a smaller group, then you would just check in personally, wouldn't you? You'd, I'd pull you aside. Oh, I can see you're in the red. Is there anything I can do? We're about to go into long division. Do you think you could, do you think this is something you could do? No. Nah. Okay. 
do you know what I mean? And then we adapt mm. that way. So this kind of I, this, I've been using this term a little bit more often now, but being aware and emotionally aware. And what you've just kind of painted is this classroom and these teachers that are emotionally aware and just moving forward. We're not trying to get out of the red zone right away. We're sitting with it, but we're aware that we're in the red zone. Yeah. Um, I, I love this. Uh, thank you for chatting with me. I think to finish off this conversation, I'd love to hear from you in terms of what is your ideal or what would success look like, you know, if we look at SEL in the classrooms? What's your like dream, I guess, of, of uh, what you'd like to see in the classrooms? Yeah, I guess my dream is just to have happy children, really, isn't it? Like, you know, children who are walking to the classroom, they're, 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 they, they're smiling. They're, they're ready to to be creative to be children uh, sometimes we 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 suppress the the children part um and and just to be to feel safe once we've got all of that yeah. then then they're ready to 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 learn and to grow so that's the most important thing thank you for chatting with me again uh and and i hope we do get to chat again soon uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. Please make sure you take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave a rating. Send me an email if you do at info at I will send you Meltdown Mountain, which is a PDF to help you with a visual. And follow us on Instagram, curious underscore neuron. Visit our YouTube channel. The video of this podcast will be up there. Um, and that is it. Thank you to everyone. And I will see you next time. <laughs>